Is it a good time to be an A's fan or what? If you're an A's fan, you got to be loving life right now. They're hitting dingers, sweeping the Giants. They got hella crazy comebacks. <clears throat> Jesus, Luzar uh, Jesus Luzardo looks like the real deal. Uh, the bullpen is hella solid. Uh, you hope Frankie Montas is all right. He got his, his last start pushed back a few days, and then he didn't look too great. But, dude, I mean, the A's are looking solid. And, uh, you know, hopefully A.J. – I don't know. I haven't heard any updates on A.J. Puck. Hopefully A.J. Puck comes back soon. But, yeah, I mean, it's a good time to be an A's fan, folks. Hey, I'm your host, Alex Espinoza. Welcome to another episode of the Ricky Henderson Podcast, a.k.a. the GOAP, the greatest of all podcasts. And yeah, right now the A's have the best record in the American League at 17 and 8. Uh, the Astros are right there though. Uh, they've they've won seven in a row. They're just a couple, uh, two and a half games back. But uh, you know, I'm not one for jinxes. I I think it's pretty obvious that the A's and the Astros are going to make the playoffs. You know, you have to remember in this new format, this whole messed up 60 game season, it's the top two teams from each division make it. So, you know, the A's and Astros are up there. And then, you know, the Rangers are in third place at 10-13 and 13 in the AL West. The Angels and the Mariners only have eight wins each. So, dude, uh, I think the A's and the Astros are already freaking clinched their playoff spots, basically. It's kind of crazy. But uh, you never know. Uh, I could have totally just cursed the rest of the season. So if the A's go, like, you know, 0-35 the rest of the year, you know who to blame. <laughs> um, but, yeah, we got a great episode uh, on tap today. Uh, super duper excited to have Oakland legend, A's legend, Dave Stewart. Uh, had a really great conversation with him about, um, you know, just Oakland's really rich history of uh, producing baseball players and just his experience, his era growing up in the early 70s. Um, you know, when you think of Oakland, there's, you know, so many baseball, like, legends to, to come through, like Frank Robinson is the only player to be a MVP in both leagues, and Kurt Flood, who really... You know, there wouldn't be free agency, or maybe there would be free agency, but the the way it happened, Kurt Flood was the the main proponent to make to make all MLB players have free agency. So, you know, teams used to just be able to own players forever, basically. I think so. Um, Kurt Flood, Frank Robinson, Willie Stargell went to Ensenal High School. You know, speaking of Ensenal High School, you had Dontrell Willis, Jimmy Rollins went there. Um, you know, of course, he had Dave and Ricky, and then behind them was like Shooty Babbitt and Bip Roberts, um, and then you know, I guess CC Sabathia and then Tyson Ross and Joe Ross—they've they, all kind of come out of the Bay Area as well. But um, you know, I'm kind of wondering where's that next Oakland superstar in baseball, and um, and yeah, what can be done to kind of help Oakland Little League? So we also talked to. Um, an invested Oakland Little League parent, uh, Drew McGowan, who has a nine-year-old and an 11-year-old um, in the league. And he's been helping out the league for 11 years. And, uh, you know, on episode six of the GOAP, I was with the GOAT boys, uh, Anson Casanaris and Jorge Leon, and we were talking about their experience in Oakland Little League and um, how there kind of seemed to be a division among kids from the flats of Oakland and uh, kids from the hills and uh, perceived like uh, misdistribution of resources and stuff like that. Um, but Drew actually uh, reached out to on Twitter and we, we started going back and forth. And uh, yeah, we set up a nice interview and I, I, it was great to talk to him uh, to get his perspective on the current state of Oakland Little League and uh, how we can help, 
you know, he, he's a coach, uh, puts in a lot of his time. Um, and he also let us know that there's about, a, uh, as far as he knows, there's about a thousand kids currently in the Little League, which is huge. It's, you know, split into two leagues, technically North Oakland Little League and South Oakland Little League. Um, but yeah, it's really interesting to hear how, you know, thing, I, things I haven't really thought about, just like how the Warriors' um, success has really uh, t- hurt the the popularity of baseball in the Bay Area, especially Oakland. Um, but uh, yeah, he lets us know how we can get involved. Um, you know, how Corona could affect youth sports down the road. It's going to be interesting to see if, you know, kids, do they want to come back because they miss sports too much or now are they into other stuff? Uh, so that rebound is going to be interesting. And also, unfortunately, uh, I, I learned that there's a lot of uh, bureaucracy getting in the way of, of Oakland Little League uh, perhaps improving their fields. Uh, he, he let us know that there's some parents with construction equipment. And, uh, you know, they're in the A's, you know, they, they've tried to help out, too. But it's, uh, you know, unions are getting involved with the city because it's public land. So it's been a been a headache to try to really get some fields improved and field conditions supposedly aren't great. Um, I'm actually up in Portland right now. I would be, if I was in Oakland, I would have ran over to the fields, taken some photos to see what, uh, see what the conditions were like. But yeah, when I get back, I'll go do some investigative reporting. Uh, no, but seriously, I, I, it's, it's really interesting to see how I, I, I wouldn't think that red tape would be the thing getting in the way of, you know, youth sports. Um, but Hey, 2020, right? Um, but anyways, back to fun stuff. Uh, let's <laughs> not that youth baseball isn't fun, but, uh, but, uh, yeah, I'm really excited to talk to start this, uh, start this episode off with, with Dave Stewart. Uh, of course he went to St. Elizabeth high school in Fruitvale before becoming a uh, A's legend, uh, from 18, uh, from 1986 to 92. He was kind of a late bloomer in his, in his MLB career, you know, no stew or smoke, uh, he came back in 1995 to um, to wrap up his career with the A's and retire. Uh, he was eventually a pitching coach with the Padres and the Brewers. He was an agent. He he actually negotiated Eric Chavez's six-year, $66 million deal in 2004. And he was also the general manager of the D-backs from 2014 to 2016, where he actually reported to former A's manager, Tony La Russa. Uh, so that's kind of cool. I mean, he's really he's really seen it all in baseball. He's done everything. Now, of course, you know him. He's doing the studio, um, the pre and post game shows with the A's on NBC Sports California. Uh, but but for this interview, I really wanted to focus on his his experience as a youngster. I mean, him and Ricky are only about a year and a half apart. And um, yeah, so I I figured that was a great starting point for this interview. So yeah, I hope you guys enjoy. Again, you're listening to the Ricky Henderson of podcast and enjoy this interview with Dave Stewart. Okay, and we're here with another episode of the Ricky Henderson of Podcast with Oakland legend, A's legend. You can watch him now on the A's pre- and post-game shows on NBC Sports California. We're here with Dave Stewart. Uh, Smoke, how you doing, man? You doing all right? You staying cool in Phoenix? <laughs> uh, you're doing okay, man. It's tough to stay cool in Phoenix unless you're inside, though. <laughs> man, so, so yeah, I, I, I'm really interested in uh, the hit, like y- your connection with Oakland baseball. And uh, I really want to go all the way back to the beginning, man. When was the first time you ever saw Ricky Henderson on the baseball field? Man? Was it in the little leagues? Or, like, when was the first time you guys ever competed against each other or saw each other? We competed against each other for the first time. It uh, would have been um, Babe Ruth. Mm-hmm. Um, I was playing for Oakland Police at that time. Ricky was playing for, um, for a team called Porterhouse. Um, they were coached by um, – 
Hank Robinson. Um, and then he also played for Mr. Mason. Um, and they were, God, I forget what Mr. Mason's team were, were called. I think they were called the Prince Hall. They were called mm -hmm. Prince Hall. Um, and so uh, the first time we competed against each other was in Babe Ruth um, at uh, age 13. Ricky would have been, actually, I would have been 14. Ricky would have been um, 13. 13, yeah. So, I mean, did you guys recognize, I mean, was it pretty obvious from a young age that you guys were, you guys were pretty good? I mean, did you know, oh, man, this Ricky kid is fast. Like, this kid is good. I mean, did you guys recognize it from day one or what? Well, what we, what we recognized about Ricky um, at that time was that he could run, mm -hmm. um, but his baseball skills were a little raw. <laughs> yeah. Um, but he, he could run. Um, he could run with anybody. First step quickness was the same as it is, same as it, was as a professional is how it was um as an amateur um and he was a tremendous football athlete yeah and, and how, how were you as a hitter as a kid i mean in little league were you, were you pretty good or what how were you <laughs> I, thought, I thought i was good until i became a pro and they changed me to a pitcher <laughs> yeah but were you guys ever on the same team like as all-stars like uh as, as youngsters you guys ever go on some like county teams or like a, you know competing against other regions stuff like that we played, uh, we played together with a guy named Eddie Jewell. Eddie Jewell was kind of like the Pied Piper um, of all of the kids that played baseball back in that time. And Eddie would grab us on weekends, put us all in the back of his blue Chevy truck. And uh, we, we would play over in um, uh, San Mateo. We played in San Rafael. We played in uh, – Palo Alto, we played in San Leandro, we played over in Alameda, and we played in Berkeley. So we played around the areas and we played against anybody that we could get games against. But um, he would literally come by our houses on Saturdays and Sundays, pick us up in the mornings, um, feed us lunch in between games because we played double headers on um, two games on Saturdays and two games on Sundays. So he would buy us lunch in between games and then when the games were over drop each of us off at our places and by the time we finished second game most of we'd be laying on each other sprawled out sleep in the back of the truck <laughs> yeah man but that, i mean so this is like the early 70s right is that is that right around that time yeah, you're, you're talking about yeah you're talking about 71 72 73 74 hmm. all yeah. through those periods of time and do you think like uh i'm curious it, it doesn't seem like there's I, i'm not as connected to oakland little league or anything like that but it just seems in general that baseball has kind of fallen off in urban urban centers like oakland uh what, what do you think it, you can attribute that to is that just baseball and football are so much more exciting for for young people or what what, what can be done to you know increase um you know baseball's popularity within uh, inner cities like oakland or communities like oakland you know one, you don't have guys like Eddie Jewell out there, first of all, that, you know, Eddie um, was what you call a bird dog, bird dog scout for Kansas City Royals. Mm -hmm. But he didn't care who the player was or if they were in the Kansas City organization. You know, he went to parks and he watched kids play and he would give you his card and then he would take your number and he would call you and and literally put you in a position where you couldn't say no to playing baseball. Um, I had other, we had other coaches like that. Mr. Mason was the same way. Mm -hmm. um, Hank Robinson was the same way. Um, Harry Harris and John Martin were the same way. And so, you know, where you were getting the foundation of the game through your home, mm 
Um, like my dad was huge giant fan back in the day mm-hmm. and he used to take us to giants games all the time. Ricky's mother was, was a huge baseball fan. So he had the, it's the foundation of the game that starts with your parents and giving you the love of the game. But then you have to have people to nurture it. Howard best, um, you know, Alistair Walker, I can name everybody mm-hmm. in that period of time that coached some of the major Babe Ruth, Connie Mack and little league teams that, their coaching style was the same. They would make sure that you got to the park, make sure you got to practice, make sure you got home safely. Um, and so if you can return those values into today's Little League, Babe Ruth and Connie Max, um, you'd get more kids playing. Yeah, yeah. And, um, and, and I'm curious, I mean, you, 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 mentioned, uh, you mentioned football, actually. I know you were a great football player. You mentioned Ricky was good at football. Um, I read you had like 30, 30 college football offers. Is that right? Uh, yes, sir. I mean, yes, who, who, were some, who were some of those programs? I'm curious. Who were, did, did oh, shoot. Here, really. I, had, um, yeah. I, had, I had Nebraska, Oklahoma, all of the Pac-10 at that time. Um, okay. I had, uh, I mean, you name it, every major college, uh, Alabama. Um, you name it, every major college, and then some small ones. <laughs> <laughs> That's crazy, man. So, I mean, have you ever thought, like, man, like, what if I went the football route? Do you think you could have made it to the NFL, like all this kind of stuff? Or did you, did you ever pause to think about that? Obviously, you, 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 know, you ended up all right. but <laughs> Yeah, I mean, if, as I think back on it, you know, if, if I would have gone that route, I'm not really sure what would have happened. Um, at that time, shoot – when I was coming out of high school, I was 5'10 mm-hmm. and 190 pounds. Um, mm-hmm. I didn't even have any idea that I was going to grow to be 6'2. And so, you know, probably had I known I was going to be 6'2 in height and at, at some point 220 pounds, mm-hmm. I probably would have gone the football route Crazy. if I'd have known that. Um, because, and it was simply because, um, I was drafted as a, as a catcher and immediately changed to a pitcher. And so I felt like the Dodgers kind of tricked me in the sun. <laughs> so uh, I probably would have gone a different route if That's I'd crazy, have known man. that I was going to grow and get a little bit bigger. That's crazy. Cause you were a linebacker at St. Elizabeth, right? And uh, right. how would you describe yourself as a linebacker, man? Like what number did you wear? I'm just kind of get the, I'm trying to get the vision of Stu the linebacker, you know? Sure, I, I wore. <laughs> I wore number 48 mm-hmm. and uh, man, I mean, back then um, our coach, uh, John Ginty, he just kind of let me just roam. And so then it just seemed like wherever the ball was, I was, I was there at the, at the same place. Mm-hmm. And um, sometimes, man, I would sacrifice an interception just to get a hit. Like there was a screenplay. <laughs> It's crazy that I remember this. This kid's name was uh, Chris Gomez, and uh, there was a screen paid play, and I, I, I saw it being formed. I had a chance to intercept the ball and run it all the way back, but I chose not to intercept it just so I could smoke him. <laughs> so, you know, I was that kind of, kind of player. Yeah. I was aggressive, really liked to hit. Uh huh. That's awesome, man. I mean, I mean, just how much energy? Like, I, I just, it seems like there was so much energy in Oakland youth sports back in that era, and you guys were, you know, because I actually I interviewed Louis, uh, Coach Louis Butler, for a story at one point. Uh, he was down at Greenman Fields. Um, he said he he used to remember Ricky as a kid. I mean, just how much energy and excitement was there just in the the youth community sports, and it produced, you know, like world class athletes like like you and Ricky. You know, what was it like? 
we had some great competition, man. I mean, there's names of, of people that that don't even get mentioned that were quite frankly a, a a part of all of our growth as younger players. I mean, we had a guy named we had Charlie Beam and um Charlie played in the um Detroit Detroit organization. Um there was Glenn Burke, there was Marvin Webb, there was Cleo Smith. I mean, when you there's just so many guys that you didn't hear about that were they were a tad bit older than us. And so they were old enough to pass it down to us how to play the game. Mm-hmm. And on the weekends, they played with us, and we were younger players. I mean, Gary Pettis, Lloyd Mosby, those guys were younger than me and younger than Ricky, and so we were passing it to those guys. You know, Shooty Babbitt was in, in, that, in that group. Bip Roberts, Harold mm-hmm. Thompson. I mean, there's a lot of guys that, that played, and they played professionally. Tack Wilson, guys that played professionally that came out of the Bay Area that just didn't make it to the big leagues. Ed Milner. Ed Miller over in, in Richmond. I mean, we all played together. We're all a group of guys that played together and love the game and learn how to love the game, learn how to play the game correctly through it being passed down to us. You know, Joe Morgan was a mentor for Rupert Jones and for for Glenn and for Harold and for Marvin. And so we were getting it. It was literally passing the baton from one guy to the next guy, to the next guy, to the next guy. And we kept giving it. So, you know, if you talk to CC Sabathia or Dontrell Willis, these are guys that I didn't know I had an impact on, but by spending time and talking with them and talking to them about the game and the passion that I had for it, they became big leaguers. So you, you just never know, man. And like I said, the number of athletes, just the guys that did make it, that played professionally, and that had impact on me and, and Ricky and some of the younger guys, Pettis and Lloyd, um, it's, it's unbelievable. Al Woods, that's another name. I mean, that's, that's amazing for me. It's like, you know, it's still at, at, to this day, you still you can just rattle off all these names, man. Are, are, you, I'm, are you still friends with these people? I mean, it, seems, it sounds like I, obviously Bip and those guys. But, I mean, uh, there's other names that you mentioned. Are you guys still still buddies and everything? Or? You, you never lose that connection. Um, you never lose the connection. As it turns out, Cleo Smith and Marvin Webb, they were in the Dodgers organization when I got drafted by the Dodgers. And so those guys, I was around them all the time. You know, Claudel Washington just passed. He was one of the, he was a part of the group that played. And Claudel had a brother named uh, Donald Washington, and he was all a part of the group. And so all these guys, man, when you're in that group or that fraternity, mm-hmm. um, you don't lose touch with those guys. You know, Rupert and I, um, let's put it like this. Cal Berkeley is the place where we all met on when it became training time we met at cal berkeley at 10 o'clock every day they used to let us use their field Mm -hmm. and all of those names that i mentioned were the names that were there then you also have to add mike norris who now was becoming a a star for the for the a's all of us were at cal berkeley working out rupert was playing in the big leagues at that time for seattle and kansas city and then we had guys coming from other states Willie Wilson was coming over to, to work out with us. And that was his connection with Rupert. So, I mean, it was, it was huge, man. Cal Berkeley, if you went to Cal Berkeley between 10 and 1 o'clock on a weekday right before the season start, 
you would see an assortment, an array of players from all over the Bay Area that were there getting their work in. That's amazing. So this is when you were on the A's, or is this uh, this is by the time you were on the A's? You mean, or do you mean when that? I first starting out with the Dodgers. Dodgers? Oh wow! Oh wow! Okay. Wow. Uh, and, and you mentioned Dontrell. I mean, what's it like to work with him now? I mean, you guys had a couple of shows together. I mean, he's such a high energy guy. I mean, how much fun is it to work with Dontrell? It is. It's a lot of fun, man. He's got great energy, um, tremendous knowledge of the game. Um, you know, it's it's it, his energy. It, it actually is perfect because. I'm a little bit more subdued. I do get excited sometimes, but more subdued. But his uh -huh. energy is, is high. <laughs> yeah. it makes it, it's it's perfect with us working together. Yeah, yeah, and uh, and also I'm curious for for other like current athletes, like you know Marshawn Lynch and Damian Lillard, who have come out of Oakland recently. Have you been able to connect with them, like uh, you know younger athletes uh, in other sports? I have been able to connect with Marshawn. I don't know Damian Lillard. Uh -huh. Um. Uh, those I haven't had an opportunity to meet him. Okay. Um, okay. You know, but shoot, there are guys before him like Brian Shaw mm -hmm. and Lester Connor are, are two names that were probably forgotten. And, and then um, you've got uh, Jason Kidd who went to St. Joseph's. I went to St. Elizabeth. Yeah. All those guys, yeah, man, I still have communication and contact with. What about Gary Payton? You know Gary? Oh man, come yeah. on, man. <laughs> Gary Payton's father was one, and I, I and I apologize for leaving his name out. But his father, <laughs> his father was one of the baseball coaches in my period of time that was mentoring all, all of us kids. So yeah, Gary Gary Payton, his brother Greg Payton, uh -huh. those guys were all all a part of the baseball group too. They just chose to go go to basketball route. That's amazing. I mean, it's, it's cool because Oakland, yeah, it's a city, but it sounds like you guys still held on to this community aspect of it. Oh, uh, man, we were, we, were, we were linked, man, back yeah. in the day. That's amazing. And that's cool. You guys are still, still doing it, you know? Still doing it. And, uh, and I also want to talk more about your career, kind of like through the lenses of your, your three World Series. I mean, you, you mentioned you were with the Dodgers. I mean, what do you remember about that 81 World Series? Because you were so young, you know, you were 24. Um, I know you made a couple appearances. What was that adrenaline like? Like, what was that like? You were pitching on the, the uh, you know, 24 in the World Series, man. That must have been crazy. It was crazy, but <laughs> shoot, it was actually pre-World Series. That was the that was the 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 memorable moments for me. I, mm -hmm. if you look back in that Houston series, I pitched the first two games in there and got the first two losses. And if we'd have lost the third one, we would have been out. Of it. <laughs> yeah. So. So that started it, and then Lasorda got smart. I didn't pitch against Montreal, <laughs> and then uh, against the Yankees, I did get a couple of appearances, and it was it was great being in that situation because in each series, believe it or not, mm -hmm. Houston we lost two, Montreal we lost the first two, and we came back and won both of those, and then against the Yankees we lost the first two and came back and won four straight. So, I mean, it was it was. That was the strike year. We we had uh, we had the eighty one strike, so we lost 60, 60 games that year, and so it was a different format for the playoffs and for the World Series. Uh, but we lost the first two of every series and ended up winning the championship. And you know, it was Fernando Mania, which playing with Fernando was an unbelievable yeah, experience in itself. Uh, watching the people that were piling in the ballpark to watch him pitch. It was just an unbelievable experience uh, playing with Fernando and, and watching the Los Angeles experience. And, you know, my teammates then, you know, were, were Davey Lopes and Dusty Baker, Reggie Smith and Garvey Lopes and Say and Russell and mm -hmm. Mundy and, I mean, Kenny Landro. 
with Jaeger was behind the plate, Hooten, Russell, Hooten, Sutton. I mean, we had a tremendous group of guys. Terry Forster. Obviously, I can go back. To <laughs> yeah, you got them all. Like, yeah. you, you named all 25, it sounds like. <laughs> yep. That's awesome, man. I mean, uh, I mean, yeah. And I'm also curious about, uh, uh, obviously, the, your next World Series was the 89. That's the one everybody remembers, you know? Yeah. I mean, did you just feel like that when that earthquake hit? Like, that was like the, that was like the center of the universe that night? It, it must have been a like, weird feeling, you know? That must have been it was, so it was, crazy. It was, it was strange, man. Um, and uh, quite frankly, we were – there were three of us, three or four of us that were still in the clubhouse when the, when the earthquake hit. And then we were all of a sudden being escorted out on the field to really witness what was going on. Mm -hmm. um and needless to say man it was it was an unbelievable experience and one that obviously i wished it never happened but we did go through it um you know i don't think anybody ever forgets a major disaster um in their life and at that time it was it was a huge disaster and and but you know what's cool about it is you you have that disaster and then you you figure out what's next what are you going to do next and the two communities got together san francisco and oakland they got together and and they helped each other heal eventually we were able to play baseball Mm -hmm. and uh it turned out to be a, a really good healing process by playing baseball um for for both sides of the bay so um you just try to have to try to make something good happen from something bad. Yeah. And I know you've been asked about it a lot, but I, I'm curious about it. You know, people talk about your experience, how, you know, the Bay bridge was unsafe to drive on, I think. So you had to go across the San Mateo bridge. Took you over about five hours to get back home to Emeryville from candlestick. And you still took time in your uniform to help people out. Um, I mean, yeah. Do you, I mean, do you feel like it's weird that people are making that a big deal? You were just being a human being at that point or um, I mean, well, I mean, I mean, I mean, it's like, I mean, it sounds like a great effort. I mean, it sounds like an amazing effort, you know? I mean, what? I mean the Cemetery was, um, was at that time, it was shut down too. We couldn't do Braybridge. We couldn't do Cemetery. We had to do the Dumbarton. So it was a six hour drive mm-hmm. coming back. And um, I couldn't get on the, at that time, we called it the Nimitz. They called it, I think, the Loma Prieta, whatever. Um, but we called it the Nimitz. We couldn't, I couldn't take that. And I was living in Emeryville at that time. So I had to drive the street and um, yeah, I do think that um, it shouldn't have been that big, that made that big of a deal, but people get caught by celebrity and they, they put celebrities in a, in a certain place and they forget that we're human, but the real human factor of, everything that I attempted to do or tried to do at that time. Um, what was behind that is I grew up in Oakland. Um, I grew up in Oakland. I just talked to you about pretty much my childhood and the, and the, you know, I didn't talk about the girls. Well, at that time it was a boys club, um, going to the boys clubs almost every day and, and the things that I got from the boys clubs and playing little league baseball. And we back in that time had a league called the ONBL basketball league in the summer. And we had popcorn and football. And Mm -hmm. so when I'm out there in my uniform and in my street clothes and I'm helping people, I'm really helping the people that helped me um, when I was a younger kid growing up and being a part of a community um, that, has helped me was the natural thing to do 
um, it shouldn't have been looked at as anything other than a neighbor helping a neighbor is the mm -hmm. way I looked at it. And um, so, yeah, I felt strange that um, so much was, was brought to that. Um, but it was, in my opinion, the only thing to do. It was the natural thing to do. So yeah, how long were you, were you helping people out? Um, Until we went to Arizona. Um, yeah. So it would have been a couple days. And then yeah. um, we as a team, we went to Arizona um, to get ready for um, the return of uh, World Series Game 3. Because there's about a 10-day gap, right? Something like that? It was a 10-day gap. Yeah. yeah. Um, but the decision had to be made whether we were going to play. And I think that took place within two or three days. Mm -hmm. And then those two or three days that we were waiting to hear what was going to happen were the days that I was out trying to help in the community. Well, yeah, well, that's amazing, man. And because uh, I, I was born in 89, so I, I don't, I, I was born in 87, excuse me, so I don't <laughs> quite remember it, but, uh, but I definitely heard about, you know, what you did that night and yeah. I'm sure people appreciate it, man. But, um, and, and to get back to baseball, I mean, uh, I mean, how much fun was that, that team I mean, that series? And you guys went to three straight World Series. I mean, I, I mean, how much energy was there around that team in that locker room? You guys were good. You guys were kind of cocky and brash. You were tough. I mean, that, that must have been such a fun group to play with, you know? It was. It was a great group of guys to play with. Um, I mean, we had fun every day. Um, we had fun. And then on top of that, we won in baseball, won in baseball games. Um, but I learned a lot in that period of time between 1986 and the time I retired. Um, the thing that I learned most and, and it proved in every championship team that I ever played with, or even every team that got to the world series or the playoffs is mm -hmm. the concentration wasn't so much on working hard as much as it was playing hard. Um, and, we had fun. All of the teams that I played on, the one thing that I know we all had in common is we had fun. Mm -hmm. And when you're having fun, it doesn't seem like work. And when you're having fun, the lows don't seem that bad, and the highs are extra special. And um, that that's what we did uh, with that 89 team, the 81 Dodgers, the 93 Blue Jays, all the teams that I played on that were – were playoff were playoff worthy teams. The the one thing that we had in common is we played hard every day. Yeah, and yeah. That that team. I mean, just like Jose, I, I had the chance to meet Tony Phillips. Um, you know, a few years ago, he was such. I mean, it, it was crazy. Actually, I was working in Yuma, Arizona. Uh, Jose was, I think, forty nine. And uh, Tony was 52, and they were playing games, man, in independent yep. league ball, man. It was wild. Yep. Yeah, it was, and Tony was still like a mile a minute. Man. Was, yeah. <laughs> oh, man. I mean, uh, and yeah, talking about fun, I heard some stories that Ricky had a house with like a uh, like a under, like a, a basement with like a little club or something like that. Did you guys have some fun parties there after some games or what, man? I, I, I don't want to get I anybody know. in trouble, but. <laughs> He, he may have had one, but I can't, I can't be a witness to that one, bro. I, never, <laughs> I do remember being in his games room, but, uh, bro, he never invited me to the party room. Oh, okay. <laughs> and uh, and yeah, I'm cu curious, uh, what was Tony LaRusso like as a manager, man? Was he tough? Uh, was he straight up with you guys? I mean, that's the kind of vibe I get, you know, just from he afar. Was, he, was, he was what he had to be. Um, on given days, he was tough. There were some days when he was playful. 
Mm-hmm. Um, he was always direct. He was always honest. I can tell you that. Um, he never, I can't ever remember a time when he didn't tell me exactly as it was. Um, good, bad, or indifferent. Um, um, he was a great communicator. He talked to each and every player on his team every game. Um, you always knew what your position was, how you were going to be played, and where you stood. Um, and um, we love playing for him. Um, he go to bat for us, um, and that's all you can ask for your manager. You ask for your manager to support you, um, and you ask for your manager to come to the ballpark prepared to do his job to help you win baseball games, and he did that. And, and staying in that same era, what makes the team photographer Michael Zagara so unique? I mean, what what makes the Z man such a crazy? I mean, he's not like he's he's not like normal team photographers, man. He's, <laughs> what is he, well, how would you Z describe was, Z man? Yeah, Z was Z was more like a teammate than a photographer. That's what made him different. You know, Z was right in the middle of everything. But man, you could sit out on the field and have conversations with Z like you're talking to one of your teammates. Mm-hmm. Um, and talk about anything. You can talk about what you did the night before. You can talk about the game, talk about photos that he took, talk about his family. Z was like one of the fellas. He's like one of our teammates. That's, what, that's why he was so cool. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. He's still doing it. And, uh, yeah, just to wrap this up, I mean, I, I, people, I don't know if a lot of people know, you actually started the, the Joe Carter game, right? And, uh, I mean, um, what do you remember about that? And I mean, I mean, that must be one of the most memorable, or if not the most memorable, memorable game you ever played, right? I mean, that's crazy. Oh, what, what I remember about it is, uh, you, know, um, you know, I knew, obviously, that I was starting that game. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to be the starter in that game, and I wanted it to be the last game. Um, and up until the seventh inning, um, I was actually breezing in that game. It was a well-pitched game, and then I got in trouble in the seventh and ended up leaving that game with a runner on base, and, and uh, but still leaving with a one-run lead. And eventually we lost that one-run lead. And now we're just rooting to win that game. Uh, Philadelphia's a tough team. Um, they were actually a better team than I thought they were um, coming into the World Series. I thought for us it was going to be – not that difficult to win. Um, but they they played us extremely tough, ex- extremely hard. Um, I had a totally different respect for that group um, once we were done playing um, that series. And then you know we get up and and we get we get to that part of the game and and it's Mitch against Joe and you know Joe goes deep and shoot back to back World Series. I didn't play in the first one, but. Um, to win back-to-back World Series and the nucleus of that team spoke for itself. It was Joe Carter. Uh, you know, one year it was Dave Winfield. The next year, now it's Paul Molitor. But you got Robbie Alomar. You got Olerud. You had Ed Sprague. You had Pat Borders. I mean, mm-hmm. Jack Morris was, you know, in the starting rotation. Stottlemyre. So, I mean, it was just a tremendous feeling. Um, And it was a tremendous feeling different from winning in the States because the Toronto Blue Jays now represented the whole country of Canada. And so it's a, it's, it was, it was a different feeling because we won for a whole country, Mm -hmm. you know, not for a city, but for a whole country. And um, it was, it was just a great experience.
So, so yeah, I'm curious. Where were you sitting when when he hit that homer to win the World Series? Where were you? I was sitting on the end of the bench, right next to Stoudemire. Yeah, and you guys just ran out and just mopped. Oh him, man, right? yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. celebration, bro. <laughs> and uh, and a lot of people don't even know. I think Ricky was actually on base for that. He got traded there. You guys spent sixty about sixty games together, <laughs> so far away from home. What was that experience like playing with one of your best friends? Uh, so far well, away. Well, shoot, I was one of one of the advocates for it. Uh, Pat Gillick called and asked if he would be a, an addition a great addition to our team. I told him, you won't get a better addition to play here than Ricky. And uh, he ends up playing for us and shoot. Me and my homie, we won another championship. <laughs> that must have been so great. And, oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> and yeah, just to wrap it up, I mean, what about this year's A's team, man? They're crazy. I mean, as we speak, the last two games, they've had these ninth inning amazing uh, finishes against the Giants. I mean, what do you make? There's, there's something special about this year's team, right? I mean, what do you think right. about it? Well, the, what's special is that they they now had back-to-back 97-win seasons. They've also had back-to-back eliminations in the first round. Mm-hmm. And you're probably thinking, well, how does that play in anything? Well, it plays in experience. I'm having a 97-win, 97-game winning seasons and then being eliminated. That's not a good taste in your mouth. Um, but I think that this team has taken something from both those first-round eliminations to make them better all the way around. Um, They're a young team um, all the way around. You've got some veteran players. I I guess Fires would be considered a veteran of the pitching staff. Um, But overall, this this is a young team. Mm -hmm. And um, they're learning to win together, and they've learned to lose together. Um, But I don't think that they're taking anything from those losses except positive experiences to help them be better for this upcoming season. And so, you know, I think that this team is, I've said it, I think that they're the team to beat in the West. Um, I think that they're going to get past that first round and possibly to the world series. Mm -hmm. Um, And a lot of that has to do with, obviously they got a great manager, but there's no better experience than experience. And this team now has the experience um, that's needed to get to the next level. Awesome, man. Well, thank you so much. It's been great to watch you. Are, yeah, do you do you see yourself just staying in broadcasting, or do you do you feel like you might go back into a front office role or a coaching role or agent role again? Or you know what? As if, as long as NBC will have me, <laughs> then I'm going to be doing broadcasting. All right, man. Well, I think our fans love it, man. It's great to great to see you on there, man. So thank you so oh, much. Sure. Thank you so All much right, for your time, man. I really appreciate it. Sure. Have a good one, man. All right, bro. All right. And also, my, my, uh, my dad wanted me to show you this. So he, he's got a stew shirt. He's, I, he, he, <laughs> he just wanted me to show you. I was like, all right, if I get him on there, I'll let, I'll let you know. But he's a, he's a huge fan. He, he was the one bringing me to A's games back in the late 80s and stuff. So he, Cool, man. I, tell you, tell your father much love, man. Thank you. All right. I will. All right. Thank you so much, Stu. I really appreciate it, man. Thank you all so right, much. All right, brother. All right. Take Hopefully, care. when it all starts up again, I can introduce myself at a game sometime so looking forward to meeting you man all right take care dave thank you so much all right dude dave stewart is the coolest i'm pretty sure he is the man he's just always chill uh, but then he has, he just flips that switch, you know, uh, <laughs> and I just love that linebacker story. I can just imagine the poor kid just going up for a, a ball that his quarterback left up and then Stu just lays him out. Ah, uh, Chris Gomez. Hope you're all right, bro. <laughs> uh, 
Um, but yeah, that was just a great interview. And that, that dude's like an encyclopedia. He can still rattle off all those names from 40 years ago. It's really impressive. So thanks again to Dave Stewart. Uh, it's great to hear his insight. He's always honest and just chill. And now him and Dontrell got a thing going. So it's really cool to see. Um, yeah, so... Man, and also, yeah, I mean, it's crazy. The Joe Carter game, I mean, so I know I kind of just jumped into that, but also, if you didn't know, like, yeah, 1993 World Series, Joe Carter, game six, hits a dinger to win the whole thing, and yeah, Dave Stewart started that game. Ricky was on bases when Joe Carter hit that homer, so, man, Ricky and Stu, all the way in Toronto, winning titles together, too, so uh, really awesome interview. Uh, but, but yeah, I think that that stuff he said about the Oakland Little Leagues, you know, riding around his truck with the the, the blue truck, everybody's double headers, they're all tired after four games in two days. Uh, man, that's just a great visual, man, and uh, it's really great to see that. I'm glad he stuck with baseball. As, uh, as selfish as an A's fan, I mean, it would have been crazy to see him be a middle linebacker for the Raiders or something. But. <laughs> Uh, yeah, really cool story. But uh, yeah, for our next interview, we're going to talk to A's fan and dedicated Oakland Little League parent Drew McGowan. Um, you know, again, once again, as we said up top, he provided some great insight on the current state of Oakland Little League. And, um, you know, this started after some banter, uh, some Twitter banner after our episode six with Anson and Jorge when they were talking about their experiences, Oakland Little League. And, um, and then Drew let us know, like, uh, it, it, it was, it was great back and forth to let us kind of know what the current situation was and, um, you know, how, how much, how Oakland Little League is really volunteer driven. Um, he let us know how you can get involved. You can visit nollsoll.com and check out their fundraising page. I'll be sure to share, uh, share some links on our social media. You can find us uh, on Twitter and on Instagram at Ricky blog, of course, Ricky with an E, but you already knew that. Um, but yeah, Drew let us know, you know, the A's have actually, you know, they've made an effort to, to help out, uh, Oakland Little Leagues the past couple years. They've donated jerseys for the entire league. And, uh, what he said was kind of cool. Uh, of course they have the home whites, the grays, the yellows, the greens, but they also had different color combinations too, like reds and blues and, and everything like that. So, um, so everybody was fitted out, the entire Little League was fitted out in A's jerseys. So that's a great way to market your team, you know? And, you know, the, the A's say they're rooted in Oakland. Uh, I figure Oakland Little League is an easy target for them to really enhance and to help uh, develop. So, you know, let's try to be that change. You know, you see the Warriors putting in a lot of stuff at Mosswood and Bushrod. So, uh, you know, Mosswood and Bushrod parks around Oakland. So, uh, you know, it would be great to see uh, if, if the A's and, um, you know, we can start. Yeah, why not? Put some pressure on the city to, to make this happen. So um, thanks again to Drew for this for this interview. Hope you guys enjoy this one. Okay, we're here with A's fan and father of a couple of Oakland Little Leaguers, Drew McGowan. Uh, Drew, thank you so much for coming in, man. I really appreciate it. Uh, my pleasure. Uh, thanks for having me. Yeah, so um, yeah, a couple episodes ago, I was uh, talking with uh, Jorge Leon and Anson Casanares. They were a couple of products of the Oakland Little Leagues growing up. And um, we were just talking about, um, you know, how uh, unfortunately in, in, in the inner cities how you know uh seems like passion for baseball is kind of fading and what what we can do to 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 change that what can we do to kind of stimulate an appetite for baseball again um and, and drew just having a couple kids um I, i'm curious can you give us some background on like how many what the enrollment numbers are like now like how many total kids play in the oakland little leagues and um and just 
yeah, just kind of, uh, you know, just kind of give us some background on what the situation is like right now. Obviously, it's Corona, but um, yeah, what the situation is currently like right now in the Oakland Little Leagues. Yeah, absolutely. I'll start, I guess, with myself. Um, you know, first of all, I'm just, I'm a, I'm a dad. I'm a volunteer coach. I've been coaching between my two sons for this, this season would have been the 11th season. Not sure it counts because I, I never got to coach a game. I only got to coach uh, a bunch of practices before the season was about to start because of COVID. Uh-huh. Uh, but I have an 11 year old and a nine year old and, um, you know, they've played uh, in Oakland Little League. Uh, we call it Noel Soul. Mm-hmm. North Oakland Little League, South Oakland Little League. Um, and, you know, I, it's, um, it's a completely volunteer-led league. And people like myself do everything from the coaching to the field prep to uniforms to equipment uh, and everything in between, including umpiring. And so um, I, I think it's, it's no secret that baseball is down all across the country, you know, and as somebody who grew up as a huge baseball fan and um, still continue to be, it's, um, it's, it's a struggle because it's just not as popular a sport as it was before. And I think we could probably do a whole show about mm-hmm. why that's the case. I, I think there's all, been all kinds of criticism about Major League Baseball and not figuring out how to make stars out of players like yeah, their marketing efforts. Yeah, for Mike sure. Trout, yeah. Um, you know, but even in this market, Mac Chapman, Matt Olson, Simeon, you know, there's so many guys that, that should be kind of heroes like Steph Curry. And I, you know, I think in this market, it's been tough because, you know, with the Warriors success, you know, I think that's what a lot of people have easily blamed the drop in numbers to is on the Warriors success. And, you know, don't get me wrong. My two kids, like, like all of us got caught up in the Warriors and they want to play basketball and they want to be like Steph and Clay. And I think that definitely hurt baseball, helped basketball. But I also think the marketing overall of the NBA and um, the attractiveness of basketball and the diversity within basketball and even football, um, you know, are things that are pulling at the popularity of baseball. And, you know, in, o- in Oakland, and the, what I'll first say for sure is that I'm just a parent. You know, I'm not, um, you know, any, any kind of high-ranking official in Oakland Little League. Mm-hmm. So I'll tell you my opinions, but I... No, this is great. Like an invested parent. Like the, yeah. You, have the, you probably have the best view, honestly. I am definitely an invested parent. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. uh, but I, um, I had asked the league, actually, what the numbers were looking like. And um, we have about a 1,000 kids um, all throughout Oakland playing. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think the peak was around 1,500. Mm-hmm. And so that's um, averages age is about five to up to 16 years old. Mm-hmm. And then Oakland Little League also supports a lot of the middle school and high school programs in Oakland. Mm-hmm. And the area, when we say Oakland, actually covers South Berkeley, Oakland, Piedmont, and Emeryville. Okay. Um, and so there you go. Uh, like I said before, it's a volunteer organization. I know I personally and the coaches I coach with put in a ton of time. Uh, but the numbers that I've seen is that volunteers provide a uh, little more than 40,000 hours in a season. Yeah, um, that's so right. it's because no joke how much time is being spent. Yeah, I was looking on the website. It's, I mean, it, it kind of lays it out. It says if you're a coach or a manager, expect to volunteer about 100 hours throughout the season. And then 
if you're just a family member, like you're expected to volunteer about 20 hours and then you yep. guys actually document it at the end of the season, right? You guys we actually do. have we like, do. We, we like actually an auditing keep, system. We keep or? track. Yeah. We have somebody that is a parent, you know, that keeps track for every team. And we try to make sure every uh, parent, as much as they can, I, I mean, I know that there's parents or might be a single parent that, um, you know, just doesn't have the time, but I'll figure out some ways as a coach to work with him or her um, in other ways that maybe they can do some time, some things on their own at home. Mm -hmm. um, that's only just going to be a few hours here and there. I mean, I, I totally get it. I grew up, um, you know, baseball is such a, you know, traditionally kind of generational thing passed down from, you know, dad to son. And, you know, I unfortunately didn't have that. I grew up, my dad was never around. And, um, but, you know, I was lucky enough to have a mom and older brothers that, um, kind of took care of baseball for me, but that's been really important for me to kind of pass that love and passion on to my kids. And thankfully with the A's, since they've been alive, um, I have an 11 year old and a nine year old have been damn good. And <laughs> yeah. this season has been exciting. We were watching, uh, um, you know, the last two games, um, it's been crazy, right? Comeback I mean, wins over the giants it was pretty epic and it was fun to rewatch on DVR again and again with my kids uh, the, the last innings and the last couple of games. So, you know, trying to keep that passion alive, but it's, it's tough because there's so many other things that they want to be doing. And, you know, I could just talk anecdotally about my kids, mm -hmm. um, you know, between video games and obviously everything going on with COVID, they're not able to go to a baseball game or play baseball. And so I, I'm curious how that's going to kind of potentially stunt growth in, in baseball uh, with Little League. Yeah, that's crazy. I didn't even think about that, the angle about the Warriors and just how that affects this area's Yeah, if oh, you're a kid, I, I, I mean, I mean, they're like the greatest yeah. team of all time, and that's all you know. You're. I mean, it, it was crazy just going over to, you know, their elementary school to, you know, drop them off or pick them up in the morning. And, I mean, I, 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 probably not exaggerating when you'd say 50% of the kids – out on the playground had some kind of warriors gear on yeah. um and i mean it, it's tough to compete with that uh just the pure you know the success obviously leads to following but also just the marketing involved and the play you know we have this once in a generation type of talent with steph who not only is amazing on the court but what he does off the court like i as a dad like he's the kind of role model i want my kids to be looking at you look at what he's doing in oakland with his uh him and aisha's foundation the youth learn play foundation what they're doing in oakland especially during covid has been so ridiculously amazing it's tough to compete with that so i mean i hope the a's figure out ways to get closer to the community i know with um you know dave doing everything that he can um as the president and you know trying to do everything to get Oakland more involved with kids and, and the city itself um, with the A's, uh, you know, I think he's doing a lot, but I think there's a lot more to be done. And it's, you know, looking at the Warriors and their players and how they've been able to market them. Mm -hmm. and, and yeah. I mean, I know it's a really big picture question, but I mean, I guess specifically for your league, what, what do you see as, as like the main hurdles for improving enrollment? Like, is it a matter of, um, I mean, you mentioned like the volunteer, like if, if a family uh, financially cannot afford, what is it? I think $250, right? For the season that there's yep. like a wa waiver you can, uh, that, that pretty much gets accepted every time if you, if you acknowledge it, right? Yeah. One of the things that, you know, when we first started talking, I guess 
not talking, but Twitter, Twitterizing. Mm -hmm. um, after your podcast was, you know, talking about the expense of baseball. And I think all sports are crazy expensive right now. And especially as you get more successful with travel teams and, and everything involved. But mm -hmm. I think one of the things you brought up um, in the podcast was that, you know, how expensive baseball is. And it is. But one thing in Oakland Little League that is a really cool thing is no kid has ever turned away because of money. And, you know, I've had kids again, I'll just talk personally. I've had kids on my team that obviously are not from a, um, a solid financial family background and I'll do everything I can to make sure they have all the equipment they need. I have never had a kid struggle with having, um, you know, anything that they need to play baseball mm -hmm. and the league, you know, we'll, we'll do all kinds of fundraising and, you know, anybody listening out there that owns a company or, um, whereas an individual that is that wants to see baseball grow in Oakland, like anything else, we need money to do that. And I know everyone would be really appreciative for anybody stepping up and being willing to donate money or time. But uh, I think what's really cool about Oakland, you have a thousand kids that play, and we never turn away anybody. And it's it's pretty easy when you when you sign up. Um, there's a thing that you fill out and say you can't afford the cost and um, you know, the board from Noel Soul will look into that and you'll be on a team. Mm -hmm. And so other leagues probably do that too. I think probably other soccer leagues and stuff have scholarships. I don't know too much about them, but I know Noel Soul, we never turn anybody away. That's awesome. And, and I assume it's like a pretty, I mean, Oakland's a really diverse, you know, especially those areas from Piedmont all the way down, you know, down to East Oakland, like it's a pretty racially diverse, socially, socioeconomically uh, socio diverse uh, makeup of a league too, right? These players, right? Is it, is it representative of Oakland or uh, how do you see that? Um, again, I, I don't know if I know the stats for the league. I can talk from my personal uh -huh. perspective, but for sure. um, I see diversity and I see a diversity for everything from how, how kids look, where they're from, um, you know, one of the things you guys had said on the broadcast on the podcast was that, you know, is it Hills kids and Flatlands kids are, mm -hmm. are separated and that's not at all the case. And I think that's actually one of the coolest things, maybe about sports in general, but certainly about Noel Soul and baseball is that I know my kids, you know, they go to school and it's, um, you know, they see the same kids every day, but playing baseball, they see kids from all throughout the city. And as they grow up and they're uh, getting to middle school and then high school, they're going to see those kids and have friends that they played baseball with that they wouldn't have met through their school. And, you know, I'm looking forward to that and just knowing kids from all over the city and different perspectives, different backgrounds. You know, I think that's it's why we chose to raise our kids in Oakland. We wanted diversity. And we wanted diversity, not just in, you know, social background and economic background, but just in opinions too, mm -hmm. perspectives and where people are coming from and how they grew up. And I feel very lucky that uh, my kids are being raised in a city that they get that. And baseball is helping with that. And yeah, and, and no, so I, I'm curious of, uh, the, the separation of between like North Oakland and South Oakland little leagues. I know it's kind of hard to, to let people know with, without looking at a map, but like, can you kind of give us an idea of the boundaries and, um, 
and just kind of the why the league is structured that way? Or do you know? <laughs> well, I, see, I mean, yeah, I don't know the history of yeah. why it was separated that way, but the boundary kind of, if you look at a map of Oakland and you thought and you and you took um, and you separated it with a line that went north to south, mm-hmm. kind of through the middle of Oakland, taking into account South Berkeley and Emeryville, mm-hmm. it would kind of be split down the middle, and it's by population, I would guess, mm-hmm. because. As kids get, when kids are younger, there's a complete mix of everybody. North and South is all together. As kids get older, and I think that might have to do with kind of little league rules, mm-hmm. because there's tournaments and, you know, all-star teams and things like that. They, that's when they separated into North and South. Mm-hmm. But it's not, I have to be honest, like looking at the map, it's not really North and South, it's East and West. Yeah, I was going to say, it looks like, because I think, yeah, you sent that oh. over to us, and it looks like it's kind of, uh, yeah, East and West. Uh, yeah, I don't know. but uh, And it's, you know, but it's... That's historically just how kid, it's been. Kids yeah. in the hills could be on either North or South. Kids in the flatlands could be on either North or South. If you're in Emeryville, you're going to be in North. Um, you know, and if you're over by the Coliseum, you're going to be in South. So it's it's a little funky, but the map is on the Null Soul website. It's nullsoul.com. And, and I'm curious, so which uh, neighborhood are you in? And, um, and so do- I'm, um, so what's really interesting is you can also, depending on this, um, what you want, if you're a coach, which I am, um, you can choose your neighborhood, so the, the place you live, or your school. And my kids actually go to school outside of our neighborhood. Mm-hmm. And so since that, those were a lot of the kids they knew, we chose to be in North, but we would be playing in South. Okay. And I'm literally like right on the border. I'm like, right, right. Our house is right in the middle. And we have, I think we're like a block or two on the South side. Okay. According and, to the map. And so, I mean, so that, so I guess it's just nominal, like this division, like resources that aren't like allocated, like North doesn't get more, or is it kind of based on enrollment numbers or like, I'm kind no, of curious. It's, yeah. It's, uh, again, I, I don't know specifically. Yeah, but I, yeah. I know I, you're I, just a parent. I, I know I'm asking it, you all these it, official it, questions. It's <laughs> definitely equal. Um, you know, I don't, I think it's just a numbers thing, to be honest, that we're such a big little league. I mean, a, a thousand kids is a really large little league. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I had seen some stats at some point that we were one of the biggest little leagues in the country. Um, and so I think it's just managing that, especially as you get older. We, we, I think at some point, I think it was all one league at one point, And then because of the numbers split, because we were too big for all these different end of season tournaments. Because oh, okay. eventually, you know, you want to go to the little league world series and we couldn't have all of Oakland go to the little league world series. You have, it's too big. Oh, okay. I understand now. Okay. Because I mean, if the, the bigger they make it right to find 15 kids that are going to be on a team would be much easier. <laughs> yeah. We kind of, yeah. yeah so I think there's, city I'm big, guessing that the league is trying to keep it somewhat fair so that you okay. can't have you know, tons of kids to pick from. Well, that I mean, still, I, I'm honestly surprised at like a thousand. That's still, yeah, that's a, I, I thought it was maybe going to be in like a few hundreds, like it was dwindling, but it, it sounds healthy. I mean, it sounds like there's definitely still interest in the area, you know? I think there's still interest, um, you know, but like I said, I, I, I'll be super interested to see what happens when we come out of COVID and we can play on fields again and 
everybody taking a year off, how that's going to affect kids. Is that going to be, have kids maybe that didn't play get more excited to play again? Maybe. Or maybe it goes the other way. Kids lived without baseball for a year and maybe they don't want to go back to it. I, I mean, I know we haven't been out playing very much, um, me and my kids. Um, I'm pretty susceptible to infection, so I can't really be around people too much. And so it's been hard. We haven't been out kind of having a catch out in fields or doing anything like that. So, I mean, I think it's healthy. I'd love to see it grow more. I think there's room for it to grow. Um, you know, the only challenge we have in Oakland, which, you know, is both a taxpayer, citizen, and a parent, a little league parent, um, it's frustrating in a city like Oakland that, and this, there's so many things, obviously, in Oakland where money needs to go. But you look at what's been happening the last bunch of years and the tremendous growth in Oakland overall and the restaurant and bar scene and the influx of new people coming in here and businesses opening and the, the dollars and obviously the economy overall before COVID and everything that's happened in the last five months. Mm-hmm. And you, the fields are in terrible shape. Um, and it's, it's frustrating to me as a parent and as a coach that, you know, we'd go out to a field and I can't let kids play in the outfield because I'm afraid they're going to break their ankle because of the gopher holes. And there's a bunch of fields that there's no water source, so we can't water the grass. And it's just, it's, um, that's going to be something that I do think there's going to be longer term effects because especially, again, going back to the Warriors, you look at what the Warriors did with building new basketball courts throughout Oakland um, and throughout the Bay Area. And we're not getting any kind of help with baseball fields. I think the A's have been interested in helping, but because of parks and rec in Oakland and unions and some different potential, I guess, um, conflicts, we haven't been able to get in there to fields and make them better. I know a ton of parents have been willing to bring in like construction equipment and redo fields, and we we're just not allowed to. And it's really frustrating. I mean, we don't have the fields. If you go out, I know you said you don't have any kids, but go out to any of the fields throughout Oakland. They are in rough shape. And there's a couple of beautiful fields. Um, the one at Chabot Elementary is kept really nice, but that's because the people in that community take some pride in it and do it themselves. Um, and then you look at the field at Oakland Tech. Um, that's all run by no- Nolsoul, and that's an absolute beautiful field mm-hmm. um you know named after ricky henderson yeah so, i live i live right i want to say live like three or four blocks away from there yeah so I, all I the fun it. it's a great thing. yeah it's so a that great. field was all done by a lot of it was done by noel soul and um and uh you know the coaches at uh oakland tech um have been part of noel soul and strong support supporters of noel soul so that shows like what we put our minds to it what we can do and we just need that extra um ability to take care of the fields and I think the A's are willing to help us do that I know the volunteers and the parents are willing to do that now we just need Oakland and you know Mayor Schaff I don't know if it's really her role but um stepping up and letting us get it done and making these fields beautiful which they can be I'm sure Ricky or Dave Stewart would hate to go see how these fields look Dude, I, I just can't believe, like, who would want to stop this? Like, how is bureaucracy getting involved in, you know, improving um, the lives of 
young Oakland people. I don't understand, I guess, if the A's are willing to help. Like, I guess where is the opposition is what I'm trying to figure out. It doesn't really make much sense to me. It's kind of mind-boggling. You know? Yeah, it's – um, I, again, as a parent, like, I, I don't know. I mean, I'm not involved in those discussions. I've written some emails to City Hall about it. Um, not really heard anything back. I know a bunch of us beginning of the season, actually, before COVID happened, we were all trying to do a bunch of work um, at Caldecott Field, which is kind of by the Caldecott Tunnel. Sure. Yeah, and yeah, that's, yeah. there's, there's uh, what, one, two, there's uh, three fields there um, in that complex. And one of them is pretty nice, but that's for the much older kids to play on. But the two fields for younger kids, that's, I mean, they're downright dangerous to play on. And so well, a bunch of us were going to go out there. I know there were some people who um, are part of construction companies that had been willing to come out and bring machinery out. And, you know, we weren't allowed to. And even if we were allowed to, the problem is the, the, there's no water source there. It's been broken for years. So even if we redid the grass and made it beautiful, it would die. And I don't know you know, if that's East Bay mud or who, but it's not a priority, you know? That's crazy, and, man. And it's been like this for years, as far as you know, or? I mean, I've been coaching, this would be my 11th, this would have been my 11th season. It's been like that the entire time. So I can't imagine it just started then. Wow. Um, it was probably before that as well. And I, so this I is a known know thing and it's field, just not, wow. I don't even know what the fields look like now. Yeah with you know nobody taking care of them for the last bunch of months that's that's sad i didn't know it was in that state the, the other one you should go look at is bushrod field you know um yeah i, I play basketball field. down there sometimes yeah I've it's been named there. after well you look at the basketball it's really uh, nice yeah facility that's yeah. steph steph curry did yeah, that. The, the indoor facility is, cra- is yeah. amazing you know i mean uh, yeah. but the fields and one of them is ricky henderson field it's where he grew up playing on that field and it is that i mean that's no way to honor one of the and i went back and forth with dave stewart actually about this yesterday on twitter but i think <laughs> ricky is top five you know baseball player to ever lived and how are we honoring him and his field by i mean it looks awful i mean we could do better especially with a hometown hero like that the fact that the ace play on ricky henderson field we should make sure that these kids get to play on us you know doesn't have to be as nice as the a's field but it can be pretty pretty darn close yeah it'd be nice if there wasn't yeah they didn't have to worry about rolling their ankle or breaking their ankle you know yeah um, i mean just honestly I, anybody listening go out to bushrod field and walk around and just i i dare you to not walk out off that field just just either disgusted or just heartbroken well, yeah, that's what I don't understand is like if the A's are willing to help and clearly they have some sort of capital, clearly they have some money to help. It's weird that uh, people would interfere. I, it just doesn't make sense to me. You know, I would hope that the Little League and the A's would just be able to figure out some sort of private thing. But I guess if it's all public parks and stuff. I think that's, I, you know, again, I don't know, but it is. It's part, they're owned by Oakland, obviously. So yeah, yeah. we don't we don't own them. And, you know, I'm sure there's all kinds of insurance and, you know, who knows what else yeah. that obviously bureaucracy can constantly get in the way of good things. Um, I'm just hoping we can fix this sooner rather than later. And, um, and I'm also curious, do you feel like just like the, you know, the structure of youth baseball has changed so much 
like even for me, I grew up in the nineties and I feel like, you know, travel baseball really kind of took off in the, in the nineties. And now it's like, it's kind of like, you know, youth basketball too has all these like elite uh, circuits and all this stuff. I mean, I mean, it's probably, it's, it's different, right? If you really want to be noticed by, or, or I hate to use that for these 12 year old kids, you know, but um, it's kind of like, there's like this circuit, right? Like there's this funnel now that starts at a very young age that didn't really exist before, you know? Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm kind of thankful because my kids, we, we just kind of decided that's not going to be their route. Mm -hmm. Um, but I have lots of friends and, um, you know, who I've either coached with or coached their kids that are now involved with, with travel sports in general, whether it be baseball or basketball, volleyball, um, there's a bunch of different sports out there. And, you know, I, this, I, I don't want to get negative, but it's, it's a business. Yeah, I mean, sure. no, it is. And, it is now. Yeah, for, for sure. And, you know, I, I, I know with some of the travel teams, the coaches take on a lot of, you know, they got to get a certain number of kids to play and pay the money. And, um, you know, I'm not sure they're necessarily always the best kids, but they're the kids who can afford it. Mm -hmm. um and it's i mean like i said we we decided my wife and i that our kids weren't going to go that route they'll just play you know in in this case no soul and that's great the level of competition is awesome like they don't need to be doing that i you know maybe one day they'll they'll want to play in college or something but i'm not i'm just looking for them to go out and have fun at this point and i don't know the travel thing i just personally as a parent i don't really get it also takes over your life. I mean, beyond the money part of it, which is outrageous in my opinion, but it also, I mean, our lives on weekends are overtaken by sports. The travel thing, you're also in the car, going all over the place. Um, you're often flying to tournaments and that sort of thing. And I just, yeah, it's crazy. really making a commitment to one thing and you know 11 12 year old kids i think should be doing lots of stuff you see all the you know the stories about all the kids as they were growing up whether it was somebody like ken griffey jr i've seen some interviews with him and or or steph curry like they were playing tons of sports yeah, growing up sports, focused yeah. on one thing yeah and i think that made them better athletes and better at their the sport they eventually decided to choose yeah, even Dave Stewart, I was talking to him. I guess he was a, he was a mean linebacker at St. Elizabeth High School in, in Oakland. And he I had, can only imagine. Yeah, he was telling me. He, he, <laughs> he, he would be like, like the linebacker. He, that's exactly what he was. He said he was a linebacker. And he remembered uh, this play where he could have he got an interception, but he just tackled the guy instead. And then, I don't know, that's, that's the kind of player Stewart That sounds was. about right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, I mean, I know you mentioned people can volunteer and uh, donate. Uh, how can people um, get involved and help out um, if they're listening to this? How, how can just anybody so get involved? I think right, right now is obviously a funky time, but uh, in general, if you go to the Noel Soul website, which is com, there's a tab on top that's to be a volunteer. And again, like, it's not like you have to commit hundreds of hours or anything like that. I think we're just looking for people to step up and that love baseball and come help, help out. We, you know, in a normal season, we do an opening day. 
and you know there's time to help out with that there's there's obviously some fundraising that needs to get done um to keep the costs low for the league um and then i think one of the things we were talking about uh originally was even when i was in college and didn't have any kids i was go i went to college in washington dc and i stepped up and i coached both baseball and basketball for kids there without you know any kids myself because i wanted to give back and you know we always need coaches and we need umpires. the other thing is we need umpires really badly mm-hmm. so there's all kinds of ways you can get involved there's also ways you can you know be at home and work spreadsheets and things like that too um if you don't want to be out on a field so there's lots of ways if you go to the website and and send us an email at the league i'm sure we would love for anybody's help and then I think if you have other ideas as well about the fields, about fundraising, about the future of baseball and uh, Little League Baseball in Oakland, I think if you want to get involved, we'd probably love to have you. Awesome. Well, yeah, is there anything else uh, people should be aware of or anything else you want to add? Um, it's, been great it's-, for, it's been great for me to learn and just kind of get some perspective on like the current state. Because like I said, you know, I'm 33, I don't have any kids, I'm kind of, you know, uh, detached or not detached, but I'm far away from Oakland Middle Leagues, you know, at this time. Yeah, I, I mean, and I, again, I really appreciate you reaching out to me um, and us being able to turn, you know, some banter on Twitter into maybe something positive. They get some people out and volunteering. I think the biggest thing is just, you know, a lot of us, especially people listening to this are, are probably A's fans and, and love Oakland baseball. It starts with the kids. And if we let them down, there's going to be a point where kids aren't going to be playing anymore. And, you know, I don't want to be too dramatic about that, but we need baseball. Um, it's, it's such a thinking person sport. And I think there's, it can be a really diverse sport and can bring lots of people together. And, you know, I don't want to see it go away because of whether it's marketing or other sports being you know, more important in this moment. And I think getting people just awareness in general, but people getting people willing to step up and volunteer their time, their, their dollars, I think it's the way we <clears throat> turn it around. But I think it starts with awareness. And I'm really happy that you guys reached out and that we could have this conversation and bring that awareness up because it's really, it's really, really critical, I think, for the, the future of this sport, not just in Oakland, but in this country. Definitely, man. Um, well, yeah, definitely. Thank you so much uh, for the. I see this Zoom thing. It's saying it's gonna boot us off here in a minute or something. But, um, but, uh, but thank you so much for your time, Drew, and your perspective, and yeah, just for your, you know, helping out the community. And um, me and Jorge are definitely down to come and help out whenever everything starts up again and figure out how we can be part of the solution too. So. Yep. Well, I appreciate it. Like I said. Hopefully one of these days we can be meeting over at the Coliseum in the parking lot and have a beer. <laughs> that sounds fantastic. Can't wait. <laughs> All right, Drew McGowan, thank you so much. I really appreciate it, man. Thank you. Have a great one. Go ahead. Right. Man, to borrow a phrase from Jorge Leon, friend of the podcast, slash Peter Griffin, uh, kind of grinds my gears that you know bu- bureaucracy and red tape can get in the way of youngsters playing ball. So... 
Yeah, I don't know. I'm I'm, I'm going to follow up on this and, um, you know, maybe reach out to the city. Uh, definitely reach out to the A's and see what is, what, what's holding this up. Um, and just to get more information, just get some more context. You know, this would be something, a uh, great cause to get behind, I believe. So, um, yeah, if you want to get involved, uh, either as a volunteer or fundraising, make sure to visit nollsoll.com. That's uh, for the North Oakland Little League, South Oakland Little League. Thanks again to Drew McGowan for that interview. Uh, it was really insightful. And he's, uh, yeah, you can tell he just really cares. And it's, it's great to have parents like him in the community. Like Dave Stewart said, you know, that's what it comes down to really is this grassroots effort. So, again, for fundraising and volunteers, uh, volunteering opportunities, visit nollsoll.com and uh, check out what they have uh, all have to offer there. Because I'd really love to see, you know, baseball stay relevant. And uh, it's, it's hard. I understand there's so many other distractions, so many other things going on. Uh, the NBA and the NFL are immensely popular, I think, in the, uh, you know, amongst young people. So, yeah, we'll see. But we're, we're going to do our try, our, do our best to keep uh, baseball relevant in Oakland, you know. <laughs> so, yeah, thank you very much to Dave Stewart and Drew McGowan for their conversations today. It was really great talking to them. I'm your host, Alex Espinoza. Thank you very much for listening to the Ricky Henderson Podcast, Episode 8, the GOAP, the greatest of all podcasts. And, yeah, make sure you follow us on Twitter and Instagram at RickyBlog. Thank you so much for listening. Stay tuned. Hope to have a lot more fun guests on here and uh, keep it rolling. You know, there's so much excitement around the team right now. So got to strike the iron while while it's hot, baby. Uh, (laughs) All right. Thank you so much for listening. Take care, guys. Have a good one.